Amen. You can be seated. Wow, what a powerful reminder that our God is holy, that he is strong, that he is our shelter, whatever we are going through. So good to sing together. Jason, worship team, thank you so much for, for leading us in that time. Well, hey, good morning. My name is Andrew. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. I'd like to welcome you again to our church. I'm seeing a lot of college students who are back home from spring break, so welcome to all of you who are with us. It's really good to, to see some old friends, and thanks so much for, for being here. I, uh, I get to introduce our guest speaker this morning and share just a couple of quick announcements with you. We are taking a short break here from our series in the book of Acts. Can you guys believe that Easter is only two weeks away? That is hard to believe. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. The Sunday after that is Easter. It hits really early in the calendar year. And so uh, we'll be in a short Easter series coming up here. But today we've got a special guest speaker. I'll introduce him in a moment. I'm so excited for you to get to hear from them. But just a couple of, of announcements and encouragements. I wanted to just challenge you and encourage you to keep plugging into our Back Together plan. If you don't know what Back Together is, it's our ministry focus for 2023. And it's all about diving deep into community together and experiencing the, the transformative power of community. So online at efree.org slash backtogether, we've got a shared Bible reading plan that we're going through as a church family. There's a devotional podcast that comes out Monday through Friday to go along with the scripture reading. You can sign up for dinner together to get to meet some people in our church family. There's opportunities to serve. We've got section hosts who are serving now. So just all kinds of exciting things. And we feel like God has really been blessing this movement. And it's just been so exciting to see all of you jump in and participate in that. If you're following the reading plan, we completed our first book in the New Testament this week. So give yourself a a pat on the back for that if you're following along. If you're not, you can jump in at any time. We'll be diving into Mark chapter three this week. We'd love for you to, to just jump in and engage with God's word. Well, part of the Back Together initiative is we wanna celebrate together as a church family. And here in a couple weeks on April 16th, we're gonna celebrate baptisms together. We've got a couple pictures for you from the last time we celebrated baptisms in November. And I think this is just such a significant, important moment for, for our church family to, to step into this and be a part of it. In our reading plan last week, we were in Matthew 28, where we see that baptism is part of the Great Commission. It's such an important part of being a follower of Jesus and what Jesus called his disciples to do. So if you've not yet been baptized, I just encourage you to pray about if now's the time for you to take that step. I think it's so powerful for those who are baptized to get to experience God tangibly in, the, in this really neat way. It's powerful for friends and family to get to be part of that story and to see you take that step. And then it's really powerful as well for our church family, just to get to hear the, the stories of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are taking this step of obedience. So I'd encourage you to pray. I know I had a great conversation the other day with one of our leaders in youth ministry about a small group they had where a group of students was thinking and praying about, man, is, is this the next step for me? And those are awesome conversations to have. So be praying about it. If you wanna find out more or take next steps, you can do so at efree.org slash baptism. Well, most importantly, I get to introduce our guest speaker this morning, who is Carlton Harris. He and his wife, Carol, are with us all the way from the frosty land of Minnesota. So it's probably nice for you guys to be back in St. Louis. Carlton is good friends with Mike Andrus, the founding senior pastor of this church, really good friends with Adam, our senior pastor, who's traveling with his family this week. And we're just really blessed to get to hear from him. Carlton has been a senior pastor 
for uh, more than three decades. He's got three kids, seven grandkids. He's currently the executive vice president for the national branch of the EFCA. And if you don't know what that is, we're part of this amazing network of over 1,600 churches called the Evangelical Free Church of America. And Carlton's just a key leader in that. He disciples leaders, he plants churches, helps launch church initiatives, comes aside churches like ours to strengthen us. He's just really passionate about discipleship and pastoring God's people. So Carlton, we're blessed to get to hear from you this morning. Why don't you join me on stage? And would you join me in welcoming Carlton Harris? Thanks, brother. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Pastor Andrew, for that very warm and gracious and generous welcome. I'd like to welcome those of you who are with us online as well, those of you who are here uh, in this space with us. I have been here before. I don't remember when. It's been decades now. I have stood here and preached. Uh, I would consider Mike Andrus to be my mentor in ministry. I have learned so much from Mike over the years, over the decades. First met him 42 years ago. I was a pastoral intern under his leadership in Wichita, Kansas, uh, when I was halfway through my seminary training and uh, owe a lot to him. And I'm thankful for him, for this church, and for your ministry being a beacon in West County uh, in St. Louis. So thank you all very, very much. Uh, Before I continue, uh, could I share with you a couple photos my most precious relationships in my life. So I'm gonna show you a photo of my kids. Um, These are our three kids and three kids-in-law. We have six kids total. That's my son with the sunglasses on and then our daughters are scrunched in the middle there. And uh, let me show you next a photo of our grandkids. So that's the love of my life, Carol. We've been married 44 years in May, Lord willing. And uh, our uh, six of our seven grandkids, before I show you another one, let me just tell you a little bit about this. So um, we were all together last summer in Colorado for the first time since before this thing called COVID hit. And, um, and so we all got together, shared a house together in Colorado. We had so much fun. Um, and during that period where we weren't together, we doubled the number of grandkids and, and we even adopted one from a 19-year-old. He's sitting on, on my lap. So one of our daughters had two biological and then adopted him. And uh, I have five grandsons between one and three years old. So imagine what that house was like in Colorado. We were exhausted when it was over. I will say to you as grandparents, there's no greater ministry that you have than being a grandparent loving on your grandkids, when they see you, for them to know you are glad to see them and be with them and pray for them. Um, So one more photo. We added one since that. This is little Charlotte. Was with her in San Diego uh, eight days ago. Um, And uh, she's five months old now. So I have a granddaughter, granddaughter, and then those, you know. So, uh, yeah, so let me, before I show you another photo, let me just say something to you uh, before I continue. Um, You matter to God, and no matter who you are or what you've done or what's been done to you, God loves you. And the Bible tells us he demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
So if you don't hear anything else I say today, remember that God loves you and proof of that is the cross of Jesus Christ. God loves you. Um, before I show you a photo of my high school, let me just say I'm a native St. Louisan. I was born at City Hospital on Lafayette Avenue, which is no more. And I'll show you my high school. It's right here. Does anyone know what that high school is? Southwest High School. She said, do you have AEDs? Um, so I graduated from, so it's named something else now, uh, but graduated from Southwest High School. Um, I grew up in the Fountain Park neighborhood of North St. Louis. And another photo I have to show you um, to show how deep my roots are here. It's another photo of another school. Does anyone know that school? Wash U in St. Louis. So we have a daughter who is a graduate of Wash U and uh, love to come to the Del Mar Loop, eat barbecue at, do you know where? Salt and Smoke, that's right. My favorite barbecue place. So anyway, my deeps, my, my roots uh, run uh, deep here uh, in St. Louis. Well, I wanna tell you a story. Uh, two months ago, my wife and I were visiting our daughter and her family in Philadelphia. Our kids are in Philadelphia, Tampa, St. Pete, San Diego. We moved from San Diego 18 months ago to the Twin Cities. Um, and so I left my daughter's row home in Philadelphia uh, to, to walk from their row house to a place called the Italian Market in Philadelphia to get some takeout for us to all eat that night at a place called Villa de Roma. It's an iconic Italian restaurant with an old school bar and an old school cash register that literally looks about like this, okay? And in typical Philly fashion, cash only, don't ask me why, uh, no Venmo, no Apple Pay, no credit cards, cash only, I think I know why. And so as I'm sitting there at a bench waiting for our food by the bar, I engage in some people watching. Maybe you do that on occasion. And uh, while I'm waiting there, it's clear to me that this restaurant and bar is a gathering place of friends, a place where this man, is the mayor. Uh, he owns the place, his name's Mr. DeLuca, and he knows the name of person after person after person who's walking through the doors. In fact, he knows the bar patrons so well that he is already preparing their drink before they even have their seat. So this restaurant is a life-giving gathering place for friends. Now sitting in that restaurant took me back in time to Harry's Barbershop on Easton Avenue when I was growing up as a kid. Once upon a time, I had a lot of hair. Something happened over the years. Don't ask me what, but this is what you get. But Harry's Barbershop was more than a place just simply to go and get a haircut. It was a place where Harry knew everyone in the neighborhood. We would gather at the barbershop to get a haircut, but to talk church, to talk cars, to, to talk St. Louis football cardinals and St. Louis baseball Cardinals. And I'm gonna date myself, the spirit of St. Louis. Any of you remember them? The spirits of St. Louis? Harry's was a place to come and seek advice and to get information, to hear the latest news. And outside of the doors, there could be chaos, but inside, when you came into the barbershop, people felt seen and safe and secure. It was a life-giving 
gathering place for friends. Now, you don't know this, but I have a time machine. And I want you to jump in it with me. Okay, so we're going to jump in my time machine. And we're going to fly past January of 2023 in Philadelphia. And we're going to fly past Harry's Barbershop in the 60s and 70s in St. Louis. And our time machine is going to come to a stop almost 3,000 years ago in the middle of the Old Testament in a short book of wisdom written by an autobiographical writer. And the book is called the Book of Ecclesiastes. And as we read together, I want you to listen carefully to the wise words that come from this introspective autobiographical writer. And more than anything else, what we're going to hear now is this. It is not good to travel the road of life alone. Can you repeat that with me? It is not good. I think you can do better one more time. Thank you. Here's our text for the morning on the screens. Find your place in your Bibles or on your text. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. The wisdom of Ephesians, excuse me, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. Now you might wonder, why isn't it good to travel the road of life alone? I'm glad you asked. The opening statement of our text sets the stage for the answer with a statement of fact. And you can see the statement of fact in your Bibles. Two are better than one. Now, this is not talking about two pieces of cheesecake being better than one, though I believe that is true. This is not talking about two World Series rings being better than one, though the Cardinals have many more than two. This is not talking about twins being better than a single birth. This statement of fact is talking about two people being in relationship with each other. Think um, Batman and Robin or Bert and Ernie. Now, if you listen closely about now, I can hear someone objecting. But, 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 but people can be shaming and people can be unkind and people can be judgmental and people can be selfish and, you know, people can sometimes be just weird. And besides, I've been burned by people. People drive me crazy. So, so why would I want to be in a relationship with a person instead of a persona? And what about the person who, like me, is, and many of you, is from the show me state and wants proof that two are better than one? Imagine with me, you're about to take a backpacking trip, and let's say you're either going to go the Appalachian Trail like one of my sons-in-law hiked, or you're going to take the Pacific Crest Trail like my son has done. 
Such trips can be unpredictable, just like life. Trips like this have many dangers. Water crossings, bears, bugs, broken gear, cold, rain, snow, lightning, falling rock, um, twisted ankles, suspicious people who make you feel uncomfortable, also known as criminals. And just like there are dangers backpacking the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail, there are dangers traveling in the ancient Middle East, which is why two are better than one. So let's watch together as the wise writer of Ecclesiastes takes and weaves a, a three-braided cord case for hiking the road of life with others and not hiking the road of life alone. Braid one, verse 10 in your Bibles. Two are better than one when we fall down. If one person falls down or falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Now, injuries, uh, they happen on the roads of uh, the ancient Near East. And, and just like the lonely traveler needs a friend when they unexpectedly fall and get injured while traveling, you and I need help and you and I need encouragement when we fall down as we hike the road of life. Unfortunately, the time to go looking for a, a friend is not while you're on the ground. We need friends before we fall down. And I will tell you from firsthand experience that we better identify our friends before we need them to help us get up. Break two from the wise writer of Ecclesiastes. It's in your Bibles in verse 11. Two are better than one when we get caught in the cold. The Bible reads, likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? The roads of the ancient Near East, uh, they get cold in the evening. And one of the dangers of life I know about cold where I live is cold living in Minnesota. In fact, I believe that since I left San Diego and moved to Minnesota 18 months ago, I have spent more nights of my life below zero in 18 months than in the rest of my life combined. And it is so great to be in a place where now in St. Louis yesterday and today where it's actually spring. Our yard when we left yesterday buried in snow. There is no ground in sight. So enjoy the spring. While sharing his wisdom about the danger of getting caught in the cold, the, the wise writer of Ecclesiastes is, is contrasting two people traveling together who at night share body heat and snuggle to keep each other warm compared to the pathetic, a teeth-chattering, shivering of a, of a solitary traveler who at night can't keep herself warm. And just like a lonely traveler needs a friend when the cold unexpectedly hits while hiking, you and I need companionship when we find ourselves lonely during the blizzards of life. But you know what? Falling down and getting cold are not the only dangers that we face on the road of life. There's a third braid. It's verse 12 in your Bibles. The third danger is the danger 
of getting mud. You can see it in your Bibles, verse 12. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Now, the roads of the ancient Near East, uh, they get dangerous with, with each stride away from the cities and towns. And, and a lone traveler is an easy victim for criminals, but there's safety in numbers. Uh, two people can provide protection back to back when they are attacked. Two people are twice as hard, usually, to defeat as one. There is safety and security and protection in numbers as we live life. Now, when it comes to mugging, the mugger in your life could be a next-door neighbor, could be a co-worker, it could be a classmate at Parkway West, it could be someone even at first free. They may mug you with a suicide. That's a word I learned from Mike Andrews years ago, combination of a suicide and homicide. They could mug you with shaming words. They could mug you with ascribing motive. They could mug you with whatever you fill in the blank with, depending on your circumstance in life. And after the trauma of the assault, you need someone to come alongside you, to, to be with you, and perhaps to even respond to the mugger and say something like, wait a minute, I know the person that you are attacking and you are out of line. When you're mugged, you need someone to partake in your sufferings, to, to treat the attack as real and legitimate and to enter your pain with you without saying much of what comes to mind. And so as we live life, whether on the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail or on the Trail of Life, it is not good to travel alone. Trust me. I know from firsthand experience. The wise writer of Ecclesiastes, he concludes his reflection on loneliness with a proverb at the end of verse 12. You can see it in your Bible. A triple braided cord is not easily broken. Now, I'm not a certified public accountant, but I can safely say that we have an interesting numerical change taking place here now. We start with one strand of rope in life. We're going to see that in a moment. One strand represents you as an individual. And then we have a double strand of rope. We had a second strand in life, and two strands represent you and another person. And so up to this point, uh, in this small plate of wisdom from Ecclesiastes, we've always heard two, two, two. Now we come to three strands, as you can see. So why three strands, and why not just two? Why not four? Why not five? Could it be that if one is bad and two is good, how much better are three strands? I believe that the point of the, of the three-strand cord is that strength is gained. We gain strength through human relationship. Friendship is strength. Isolation is weakness. So falling down, getting caught in the cold, getting mugged, we don't usually see these travel dangers in life coming our way. And so they catch us by surprise. 
A few years ago, I was driving home from church one Sunday afternoon, and I was, you could say, happy in Jesus. I had, was dreaming of what my wife had, was, had promised to prepare uh, for us to eat, and I had a long, exhausting day of preaching and loving on people, and I couldn't wait to get home and eat. And I was sitting still at a traffic light when all of a sudden my head hit the ceiling of my car, and it was not an attempted rapture leaving me behind. <laughs> when I realized what had happened, the hit-and-run driver was gone. And the rear end of my car was crushed, leaving me with several thousands of dollars of damage done to my car. And like, what, what just happened to me? I didn't see that coming. And every time I drove through that intersection after that, because of that trauma, I thought of it. In fact, last week, we were in San Diego visiting our son and his family, and we drove through the intersection, and I said to her that night, this is where it happened. My daughter-in-law, who works in the medical field, came to our house the next day, saw the car in front of our house, and she looks at me and she goes, I don't know why you're not in the hospital. It was the grace of God. I did not see that hit and run driver coming. Did not see it. But isn't that how it frequently happens in life? We didn't see the fall coming. We did not feel the, the cold coming. We didn't anticipate the mugging in our lives. And so it is not good to travel the road of life alone. Trust me, I know from firsthand experience. Sometimes as we live life, we feel lonely. Loneliness is a thing, but it's not a good thing. Since the beginning of time, God has been saying, it is not good to be alone. Nothing will ever substitute for our need to have friends. I was made for intimacy and connection. You were made for intimacy and connection. You and I must have intimacy and connection with other human beings. But it's a word that everyone feels. I certainly feel it from time to time. But few of us want to admit it. Loneliness. It expresses our hunger for intimacy and our hunger, our thirst for community. Loneliness, as I live my life, pushes me to, to answer questions like, will you be with me? Will you spend time with me? Will you listen to my pain? Will you pray for me? Between services, I stood at your prayer wall out here and my eyes just filled with tears as I read some of the prayer requests from friends, from moms and dads and widows. Will you pray for me? Will you stand up for me and protect me and defend me? As I spend time with followers of Jesus Christ around the United States, I am seeing a, an epidemic 
of loneliness. People are staggering up the trail of life with a back-breaking backpack of luggage, especially because of the events of the last three years. And they need someone that they can share the load with. People are empty. People are busy. People are disconnected. Disconnected from their own hearts. Disconnected from other human beings. Disconnected from God. I love your initiative, your back together initiative. Well done, First Free. I love it. If you're not engaged in it, may I encourage you to engage. You and I need, a, need safe relationships where we can open up with one another as human beings and be known. You and I need a space where we can stop hiding. I've been on a lifelong journey to find a place. I'm going to share a description of that place with you on the screens right now. And this is a description of that place. What if there were a place where the worst of me could be known? And instead of being loved less in the telling of it, I would discover that I was loved more. What would happen? Among a dozen beautiful outcomes, I would discover that my unresolved ish hidden issues were becoming healed. I've been searching for that place my whole life. Loneliness, it's a, it's a feeling that, that speaks to our deep hunger for being known, for belonging. We all need a safe space where we can unpack our stories and explore them with, with other people who, who listen with empathy. And by empathy, I literally mean they feel into us as they listen to us. They enter our worlds as much as possible. It has been said that empathy chooses to enter the dark places of, a, of another person's world to shiver in the cold with them and to wait with them. We all need a space like that. What if there were a place where the worst of me could be known? Let me show you a photo now of three young men. I'm one of them. And uh, you see me standing there. And um, now look at these three seasoned older men now. The first photo was taken, I don't know, 20 years ago. This one was taken earlier this month. Uh, we were all together. And um, when I think of that question, what if there were a place where the worst of me could be known? My friendship with these three men is a place like that for me. They're three of my best friends in the world. They've known me since 1979, 1980, 1993. They are my people. And let me just say as an aside, one of the hardest struggles for us as we've moved after pastoring a church for almost you know, 15 and a half years to a completely new place is finding our people. And there are people in this room today looking for their people. And it's my prayer that you were found. But 30 years ago, uh, my people and I started meeting together at least twice a year for four intense days. 
and we've met 55 times over the years. We've had to miss a few times because of special things that happened, including back in the fall, one of our, my friends had to have a bypass surgery, open heart surgery, and it just happened just before we were supposed to get together. We've never lived in the same city. Uh, we now live in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Frankenmuth, Michigan, uh, Highlands Ranch, Colorado, outside of Denver, and Eden Prairie, Minnesota. So we have regular contact via phone calls, uh, emails, texting, video chatting. We advised each other on our parenting and our marriages. We cried with each other over our pain and our trauma. We celebrated our joyful milestones together. When we started our twice-a-year uh, retreats, our 11 kids were in preschool and elementary school. And now we're all grandfathers, and we have 24 grandkids between us. That's a long time to be friends. We used to play basketball together when we were younger for exercise, but now we play shuffleboard <laughs> because it's a little easier on the back and the joints. Competitive shuffleboard, but shuffleboard nonetheless. They know many of my joys and my temptations and my struggles and my gifts and what I'm not gifted to do and my fears and my concerns. And they've healed some of my shame because vulnerability met by love is what heals our shame. And we've experienced awkward and uncomfortable times together when it felt like the wheels were going to come off the relationships. But it has been good. That is the kind of connection that only comes with time. I call this the gift of life-giving, long-term friendship. Why do we need them? Because life can be life-sucking. Life can be lonely. Life can be traumatizing. Life can be exhausting and sleep-robbing and heartburn-producing and back-spasm-creating and anxiety-generating. So make space in your life for life-giving friendship. You and I were not made to travel alone in life. We all need to travel with other followers of Jesus Christ. Find your people and travel with them. Well, we got to get back in the time machine. Let's jump back in. We're going to come back to the 21st century, and it's three and a half years ago. As I look out the window of my life, there are some dark clouds on the horizon forming, and as night starts to fall, I smell the rain coming. The winds are starting to pick up. I hear the distant rumbles of thunder. You know what that's like living here in St. Louis. I don't know it yet, but this is not going to be a passing, mild, garden-variety thunderstorm that's about to hit my life. This is going to be an F6 tornado that's long-tracked, that stays on the ground for a long time, and it is going to wreck my wife and me. That experience that we went through gave new meaning to the well-known phrase, dark night of the soul. In short, we fell down. We were cold to the point of frostbite. We were mugged over and over, and we felt helpless and abandoned. And suffice it to say that the trauma that my precious wife and I experienced 
is more than we have time for me to unpack for you today. But I will say this without reservation. It was without doubt the toughest, most painful, traumatic experience of our lives. And I would not have made it without my three friends. I would not have made it. They were lifelines for me. Let me read to you some of the texts that I received. We're going to project four of these on the screen. Here's the first one. Uh, hey, bro, thinking about you again today, it seems that you're never far from my mind. How's your strength and focus today? Next one. Uh, are you free for a call today or tomorrow? I just want to check in to hear your voice and see how you're holding up. This one. Hey, bro, any resolution? I think about you far more than I text you. You're never far from my mind. And this last one I'll share of many hundreds. I love you, bro. Be strong and courageous. Add to that the dozens and dozens and dozens of other texts, as well as the connections with them in person and, and on the phone and on Zoom. They are some of the people who have been life givers to me. So much so that if I had a middle of the night need and it was an emergency, I could call any one of them. And if I needed them to come, they would come as soon as they could. Do you have some people like this? I want to show you another photo. I showed you my friend. It's one of my favorite photos of all time. It's iconic. The last time these three friends walked off a baseball diamond together. You guys remember it? Do you have some people like this? It's not good to travel alone. Trust me, I know from firsthand experience. Now, about now, I can hear someone asking, I think they're over here, uh, how do you find these kinds of life giving friendships? Where can I find my people for this journey uh, to help me when I fall down, when I'm cold, when I get mugged? I'm glad you asked. I have some suggestions for you. First of all, pray. At the risk of sounding trite, the place to start is with prayer, where you openly talk to God about your desire and you are honest with him about your fear and your anxiety about this. And, and you ask God for the courage to open your heart to the possibility of friendship, though you may have been hurt, rejected, abandoned in your friendship quest in the past. Another suggestion I have for you, take risks. Think of a few people with whom you could potentially build life-giving relationships. And as you pray, pursue and take some risks. It's kind of like the first time I saw my wife, I thought, hmm. She's on her way out on a date with someone else, a friend of mine. <laughs> Here we are 44 years later. Mary, take some risks. Next suggestion. Listen, to be heard by someone else is one of the greatest gifts we can receive. And so when we take time to listen, it shows just how much we care for the other person. So be known as a listener. I am on a quest in my life to be a good listener as I'm with people. I care more about the who of the listening than the what. Another suggestion I have is ask questions. 
Ask questions of yourself and your heart so that it will soften your heart and soften your walls of self-preservation so that you can be a potential better friend to others. So ask yourself questions like, what am I afraid of losing? And, and what am I trying to hide? And what am I trying to prove? And to whom? The answers to these questions of your heart will help you be a better life-giving friend to others. And also uh, learn to ask curious questions that unlock conversations and open the door for people to share with you the pages of the story of their lives with you. And speaking of stories, share your story. As friends, we invite each other to come closer, to, to see a little bit more of us. And if, if we continue on the relational journey, we enter into a space where the best and the worst of us can be known. And it's a place where the other person knows your ugly stories, yet they don't move an inch. And then my final suggestion is to be resilient. Uh, be ready for rough patches on the journey. That's true of any relationship. In our almost 44 years, we've had rough patches in our marriage. Any relationship will have rough stretches. Be ready for that, but be resilient in your relationships, in your friendships. Don't give up. Why? Because it is not good to travel alone. Trust me. I know from firsthand experience. I'd like to show you a photo as I land this plane of a young man named Aaron Ralston. Notice his right arm in this photo. He wrote this book, which you may be familiar with. Uh, I'm going to show the cover. Between a rock and a hard place, which tells his story, and perhaps you're familiar with the film that tells his story, it came out in 2010, titled 127 Hours. So 20 years ago, 27-year-old Aaron Ralston was exploring Canyonlands National Park in Utah. And it was a beautiful sunny Saturday, and he got on his bike, rode to a spot, then hiked into a slot canyon, and the next thing he knew, boom, his right arm was pinned by an 800-pound boulder. He couldn't move, couldn't budget. One day, two days, three, four, five days, he's standing there with his arm stuck. To save his life, he used his multi-tool and amputated his right arm so that he could free himself. He's fine now. He's married. He has kids. But that's what he had to do. Now, hear this. Listen to me well now. Aaron ended up stuck because he was hiking alone and no one knew where he was. Nobody knew. He was hiking, so no one knew to come looking for him. Don't hike alone. Somebody needs to know where you are in your life. Somebody in your world needs to know your story. They need to know your anxieties. They need to know your fears. They need to know what makes you sad. They need to know what makes you joyful. Someone needs to know you. Don't hike alone. You need to know something about me because you don't know me. I don't hike alone. 
don't hike alone. All I've been saying or trying to say this morning is simply this. It is not good to travel the road of life. Would you please bow with me? Our great God, we thank you for the wisdom of the book of Ecclesiastes. It speaks to us uh, where we are. We're relational human beings created in your image. And before Jesus left the earth in his final hours, as he was giving his final pep talk and instruction to his disciples, he said to them, by this, people will know you're my disciples the love you have one for another. And so we pray that in this relational religion that we are a part of, known as biblical Christianity, relationship with you, God, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that we would also engage in relationship with others, that we would not travel the road of life alone, that love would be our hallmark Jesus didn't say, by your Bible knowledge will people know you're my disciples, though that is important. By your strategies, by your tactics, by your clever programs, he said, by your love. May we engage in the community for which we were created within the body of Christ. And in this moment, we pray that you would quiet us, that we'd be still before you, that we would remember that you were God, that you were on our side, that we can bear patiently whatever comes our way on the road of life because you were with us. But may we gather others to go with us as well. And we ask this in the name of Jesus.